Welcome to Recalculating Adventist Life Now. I'm Skip Bell, your host. The focus today is Christian nationalism. My guest is Pastor Ted Huskins. Ted serves as president of the Northern New England Conference of the Seventh-day Adventist Church. His service has taken him through pastoral work, through nonprofit consulting in areas such as leadership, fundraising, stewardship. He holds a Master of Divinity from the Andrews University Theological Seminary. This is an area of research and reflection that I'm happy Ted is able to share with us today. Welcome, Ted. Uh, Thank you so much, Skip. uh, Thank you for the invitation and for the opportunity to spend time with you today. We're talking about uh, the rise of Christian nationalism. And so, Ted, I'd like for you to begin by just sharing with us a definition, perhaps an explanation regarding just what Christian nationalism is in the perspective that you're coming from today. Well, Skip, I'd like to start by saying that this is a sensitive topic, and it may appear to some that I'm delving into politics. For me to do that would be inappropriate. I am an ambassador of Christ in the Seventh-day Adventist Church, And as such, my role is to protect the church and uphold the theology, policy, and practice of the church. A part of that policy and practice is remaining apolitical. Uh, Therefore, my comments shouldn't be construed to favor or criticize any individual or current political party in the United States. Mm -hmm. With that said, I want to speak candidly and honestly, but I want everyone to be very clear that I'm not endorsing any one political party. Mm-hmm. So with that <clears throat> little preamble, um, you know, Christian nationalism in a nutshell is, is the simple belief that America as a sovereign nation is defined by Christianity. It is the belief that our founding fathers were Christian and that America was founded on those principles. Christian nationalists take that erroneous theory, theory and then state that any true Christian and patriot should take active steps to protect and promote an America that is inherently Christian. Now, Skip, Seventh-day Adventists disagree with that notion. We don't believe that America was founded as a Christian nation. In truth, our founding fathers were far more complicated than that, just Mm -hmm. as most of us as individuals are, are more complex today. Our Christian founder or our, our founding fathers were influenced by the Christian churches and denominations that they were a part of, but many others, such as Thomas Paine and arguably Thomas Jefferson, were deist, meaning that, that they didn't believe in a theistic God, as most Christians today do. Those who were Christian and those who were uh, deist or atheist were also influenced by the prevailing philosophies of their day modernism, enlightenment philosophy. They read scripture, but their politics were more apt to be influenced by the writings of Voltaire, Montesquieu, and John Locke. Mm -hmm. Well, now, Ted, uh, you and I share something of a similar journey of service in a fairly conservative Christian body, a Protestant body, and many 
if not most of our listeners, uh, share a knowledge of that conservative Protestant framework of the Seventh-day Adventist Church, but we also have engaged outside that community with other faith bodies, with people of no faith. Yeah, and it's an important aspect you bring out. There, there's a broad diversity of thought regarding uh, just what America is and how it was framed, and we experience that both within and without of our movement, but it seems to me something has been happening in recent years. So I, I'd like you to reflect a moment. How long have we experienced Christian nationalism? And have we seen a rise uh, in recent years in its expression? Well, you know, Skip, the old saying is, is often true, there's nothing new under the sun. Mm-hmm. Um, the earliest expression, expression of Christian nationalism happened in the Roman Empire when the Emperor Constantine converted to Christianity. As the first Roman emperor to embrace Christianity, he had this idea of making his nation a Christian nation and thus wedding politics and faith. Yes. You know, up until that point, all Christians kind of felt like aliens in their own nation, outsiders. Constantine changed that when he made Christianity the official religion of the empire. And, you know, his motives may have appeared altruistic towards the church. But in hindsight, I think that many uh, researchers would say that ultimately his intent was to use the church to further his political goals. Uh, From my vantage point, it's never a good idea for a Christian to confuse their political ideologies with their faith. Because ultimately, Christianity gets perverted and diluted by this quest for earthly power and influence. Um, One of my favorite sayings of Jesus, he said, my kingdom is not of this world. As Christians, we should always remember that fact. Unfortunately, many uh, in the evangelical world today are forgetting that statement and instead are embracing a mission which merges their faith and their political ideology. They then proceed to use the Church of Christ to perpetrate a great grab for political power. Now, you've you've asked for some more contemporary references. It seems to me, Skip, that whenever America or any nation is uh, in in a time of great conflict, that uh, religious nationalism rises to the surface. Mm -hmm. During the American Civil War of the 1860s, this was on full display. In, during World War One and World War Two, Christian nationalism and ethnocentrism were uh, on high alert. In more recent years, uh, the far right political uh, side of of the Christian coalition, which is comprised of many evangelical thought leaders, they have promoted dominion theology, which states that the church should not just be part of society; they should actually dominate all aspects of society. Mm-hmm. And this ideological um, thought is the antecedent of Christian nationalism. Mm-hmm. 
Well, do you think, I think I hear you saying, Ted, that in recent years we're seeing this Christian nationalism in the daily life of what it means to be American and work through various issues. It seems to me like it has been increasing dramatically in the last few years. Yes, I, I think it really has, Skip. Uh, one of my favorite books is The Death of White Christian America by Robert P. Jones, the founder of the PRRI. Mm-hmm. And um, he, he writes quite eloquently about the reason that um, Christianity is, is waning, particularly here in the Northeast where you and I live. And uh, a lot of the reasoning behind that is the rise of Christian nationalism, that, that emerging generations are becoming disenfranchised with the church because they see the church uh, becoming bedfellows with uh, with uh, political ideologies. So the uh, issues and expression of what is happening in the rise of Christian nationalism is actually turning people off. That, that uh, a new generation off, I might say, from my viewpoint. Yeah, and I, I, I'm tracking with that, Ted. Now, does this idea of Christian nationalism create a view of the nation having something of a messianic uh, uh, quality, a mechanism for saving human history, saving the country? Oh, I think so. Absolutely. You know, Christian nationalists assert that America is and must remain a Christian nation. That's not just an observation about America's history or America's past, but it's a clarion call for what America must continue to be in the future. So a Christian nationalist would say in order to be true to ourselves as Americans and Christians, we must make sure that America retains its cultural inheritance. If we fail in that quest, we will lose not only our freedom as Americans and and our culture, but we'll also lose our faith. In in that process, do you see the confusion that creates in the mind of someone? They mm-hmm. they feel that not only are they dishonoring their country, they're dishonoring their God. Mm-hmm. And um, in doing that, uh, we miss out on the greatest opportunity that he's giving us. So for someone who identifies as a Christian nationalist, or or maybe they don't identify as that, maybe that's just the ideology they have, whether they know it or not. Uh, this is high stakes for them. They uh, sincerely believe what they believe. And if you truly believe that, you'll go to any lengths to preserve the cultural identity of America as an inherently Christian nation. And we have we have seen that in fairly recent events, although we don't really need to uh, focus on just this happening here or there. If we would zoom out, we would see the larger picture and the risk that's in front of us now. Uh, listeners, I I want to caution you because I'm going to uh, challenge Ted now to speak to some specific things for the next few moments. And we want you to just think and reflect and see uh, what learning could come out of this. So I, I want to ask you, Ted, to talk about issues like patriarchy, divine sanction for authoritarian control, militarism. I have seen these things parallel the rise of nationalism and in the language of Christian nationalism. What do, what do you think? You know, Skip, um, 
Christian nationalism and 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 kind of the messianic um, uh, qualities that you, that you speak of. You know, there are a number of ideologies that have have characterized the America that that I grew up in and that that uh, we have 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 known that that seem to encapsulate that messianic belief. Um, one of those is, is is simply the concept of manifest destiny, just this belief that America was destined or God ordained for greatness, that we were to to rule the entire North American continent from sea to shining sea. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, um, when you think about some of the uh, other examples of of Christian nationalism and and um, and messianic qualities. Um, I think, Skip, that I saw some of that messianic transference uh, happen on January the 6th at the mm-hmm. Capitol building. Mm-hmm. Um, I think all of us as, as uh, Americans uh, watched the uh, video uh, and, and subsequent videos that have emerged uh, from the events that happened on that day. Mm-hmm. I have uh, also spoken with a couple of people who were eyewitnesses of the events of that day. And um, they were not among those who were um, uh, marching against the Capitol or, or invading the Capitol. They were, they were other people who were, were uh, present there that day uh, that were, had, had a role to play. And um, I, have, I have not only seen the videos, but I've heard their testimonies saying that that you could see political flags, uh, signs endorsing a particular politician, and then the very next person uh, would be carrying the Christian flag. That there were signs of people praying and signs that said, Jesus saves. I think many of those insurrectionists uh, sincerely believed that they were saving the nation mm-hmm. and um, that their activities should be uh, framed in that light. You know, when a, when a person of faith truly believes something and they believe that God is calling them to do something, um, then they have no choice but to act on that, that belief. Mm-hmm. And I think that that's what's dangerous about false ideologies and um, why it's important that we understand things clearly and accurately. Mm-hmm. Um, I uh, have read from a book recently Oh, uh, Catherine Stewart, The Power Worshippers Inside the Dangerous Rise of Religious Nationalism. She speaks of this biblical worldview that integrates uh, powers of the kingdoms of this world with uh, serving the will of God. And you have, you have challenged us to think about that carefully. She writes about religious nationalism it is a political movement, and its ultimate goal is power. It does not seek to add another voice to America's pluralistic democracy, but to replace our foundational democratic principles and institutions with a state grounded on a particular version of Christian- Christianity, answering to what some adherents call a biblical worldview. Um, now, you've spoken to that. It was striking to me in uh, observing what happened on January 6th to see some people carrying uh, wooden crosses, which were used as battering rams then. Yeah. 
this danger or this process of um, Christian nationalism mixing with pride of country and to get its influence into the political arena. Any further words of caution on that perspective, Ted? You know, Skip, I think that, again, it, it harkens back to what I said earlier, that we as Christians have to remember that we are we are sojourners here, that we are to be in the world, but not of the world. Our, um, our, our allegiance is to Christ, but Christ's kingdom is not of this world. When we confuse that and forget that truism, um, it makes us prone to radical ideologies that mm-hmm. uh, can lead us down the wrong path. Now, I want to bring up one other uh, delicate subject. And listeners, uh, please, we're asking, uh, I'm asking, and I I hear Ted saying as well, think and reflect, uh, pray, and uh, regardless of what your context and background of faith and history is, take these things seriously and reconsider perhaps a need to think. Uh, I'm going to bring up the issue of immigration. It seems that Christian nationalism uh, in the American scene has had a lot to say about immigration. I want to ask you, Ted, about the idea of a welcome to strangers in this country. We have lessons in history in the years before World War II, America turned away immigrants, some who subsequently died in Europe under the Nazi re- regime. One of the most noted moments was when we turned back that a boat filled with 900-some Jewish people among the refugees seeking asylum, the St. Louis, most of whom were from Germany. We turned it back to Europe. It had gone through, I think it was a Caribbean journey and Cuba seeking asylum. It came up to America and we turned it back and it went back to wow. Europe. Most of those people end up, ended up dying in 1939. Uh, some legislatures pushed to allow 10,000 Jewish children to find safety in our shore, shores. The striking thing to me is that uh, in America, we did not favor that action by a margin of two to one. By a margin of two to one, we as American people said, no, we will not let these children come and find safety in our shores. This America first approach that leads us to close our doors to people who are in danger as refugees, um, there's a fine line between this nationalism and fear of others or dislike of others. Um, It was a cousin of the president at the time in America, Roosevelt, who testified before a congressional committee and said that uh, 20,000 charming children could all too soon grow into 20,000 ugly adults. There's xenophobia right out there before us. So my question is, does Christian nationalism isolate us from caring about others? And I guess I'm saying now as a person of faith, that's Christian nationalism, Ted, is actually uh, 
uh, offensive to my biblical worldview. Do you have any thought on that issue? You know, Skip, that's a really interesting topic, and and uh, my mind is just racing in several different directions as I think about that. Um, some years ago, probably 10 years ago, I consulted with a church in the Southwest. Uh, they were building a new church building and, and asked for my assistance. And the church was made up of expatriates from the continent of Africa, mm. Zimbabwe, Kenya, uh, Ghana, and so forth. And they all talked about the fact that they saw themselves as missionaries to America. Uh. Um, one man said, you know, my grandfather told me stories about white people coming from the United States and teaching him about Jesus. And he said, now I am coming back to America to teach white people about the Jesus that, that they no longer are believing in. Hmm. And I just thought that was so unique. You know, we as Christians are, are a very diverse group. Uh, Christianity as a religion is not rooted in any culture or ethnicity. And it was that way from the very beginning. Um, and I'm proud of that. I think that's uh, fantastic. It's, a, it's a, an element of Christianity that is unique. I don't see that happening as uh, consistently in other world religions. Another place, Skip, that my mind kind of goes is, um, you know, um, I'm an American. I'm proud of my country. I'm proud of my culture. Um, drilling down a little deeper, I'm, I'm from Southern Appalachia. Uh, my parents were mountain people. My grandparents were. And I'm also proud of that culture. Mm-hmm. However, as a Christian, I don't believe that my culture makes me better than other or different cultures. I believe that we are all God's children. We're all children of our Heavenly Father. And the Apostle Paul informs that thought. He said that there is neither Jew or Greek. There's neither male nor female. In Christ, we find our most profound and meaningful identity. And in Christ, we find the great commandment to love our neighbor. Um you know, there are other nations that are nationalistic. Um, uh, The nation of Japan is quite famously uh, very nationalistic. And, um, um, you know, they uh, are very careful to guard their borders because they want to maintain their unique uh, culture as Japanese people. I think that on some level, um, if, if we're honest, most of us have a level of comfort with people who are like us. And I don't know that that's inherently wrong. I think it is inherently wrong when we, when we think that we are superior to other people just based on our own ethnocentric ideas. And um, as, as Christians, if we do that, then we're walking very close to embracing a, a racist or ethnocentric view and, and, in doing that, we're failing to honor the highest calling on our lives, to honor uh, the new community of Christ that calls me to embrace all of my brothers and sisters without discrimination, to extend love and help to the least of these. Uh, that's the Jesus that I uh, you know, resonate with throughout mm-hmm. the Gospels. I'm often uh, 
<clears throat> reminded of a study that I was led through one day in my educational experience of the Lord's Prayer, modeled somewhat after a prayer formally used at the time of Christ in the synagogue. And in the synagogue, the prayer went, Thy will be done in Israel as it is in heaven. When Jesus was asked by his disciples to teach them to pray, he, he both... Uh, told us about our mission and also told us about our worldview and how we were to view all people when he said, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Interesting. Uh, yeah, I was fascinated by that discovery. Um, so <laughs> now, listeners, I'm inviting Ted to comment on something that can be uh, quite difficult. Please just think about it. Is Christian nationalism, listener, I'm inviting you just to think about, Ted, I'm going to put you on the spot. Is, is Christian nationalism a perversion of the gospel? Skip, I don't think it was ever Jesus's mission to protect cultural identity, nor was it his mission to establish an earthly political power. And in my understanding of Christian nationalism, those are two of the... Uh, uh, at the forefront, the agendas of Christian nationalism. Jesus's mission was the good news of the gospel, to bring hope and healing to fallen humanity, uh, to teach us to love each other, to embrace each other. And as Christians, we're to be in the world, but not of the world. I think mm -hmm. it's a really a fine line that any of us walk between patriotism and nationalism. We can be proud of who we are, um, but we're not to, to think more highly of ourselves than we, we ought. We're to remember that we are fallen humanity, that we're broken, sinful people, and that um, God has a better plan for us. And that plan involves um, an acknowledgement of who we are, but also a, a willingness to embrace other people. The gospel is, is not about political power. And so any any organization or entity or group that would seek to uh, hijack the gospel and make it about uh, political power is a perversion of the gospel. <clears throat> now let me uh, approach one last difficult uh, specific issue. I think it's understandable that we in America, with roots of founding in New England uh, and the Mid-Atlantic states spreading throughout this wonderful great nation that we all enjoy, we sometimes think of Christianity as coming out of Europe. Now, of course, we know that it comes out of the journey and history of the Hebrews and Jewish culture into which Jesus came. But I, I see a parallel rise of white supremacy when Christian nationalism begins to take over people's thinking. I don't know if in your research and study and thought, Ted, you see any connection. Do you see the rise of white supremacy in conjunction with nationalist rhetoric that we're witnessing? I, I do, Skip, and I think that it's a, it's a byproduct. You know, I think that... Um, one of the erroneous uh, uh, characteristics of Christian nationalism is, is an ethnocentric view, and that is that I am better than other people. I'm better than other cultures, other countries. And as Americans, we are, we are prone to that ideology. 
unfortunately, when you it, it embrace that that view or that that uh, uh, ideology, then it then opens you up to drilling down a little further, and you say, well, because I'm a certain race or ethnicity, then I'm I'm superior to other races or other ethnicities. Uh, that was, of course, the the great downfall in Nazi Germany. This mm-hmm. this ethnocentric nationalistic belief. And uh, I think that white supremacists are very quick to jump on the bandwagon of Christian nationalism because it uh, caters to that particular viewpoint that they have, that they are are superior to other races of human beings. And I wonder, Ted, if Christian nationalism has been accompanied by a decreased focus on the uh, countercultural aspects or claims of Christians. Uh, Jesus spoke to us about limiting the use of national power. He spoke to uh, us about humility and inclusion. Do you see Christian nationalism kind of warring against those things? Yeah, I do. You know, um, my last pulpit skip that I pastored we had, I was there for seven years, and we had 38 different nations represented my in goodness. our church membership. Yes. You know, uh, my favorite moments were our international fairs and fellowship meals. We had Kenyans and Cambodians, Brazilians, Jamaicans, uh, Native Americans, African Americans, Irish, Germans. Um, we were all proud of how God in his wisdom had created us as unique individuals. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. We're proud of our heritage and culture. All of us as human beings, uh, you know, most of us anyway, are, are proud of, of some aspect of, of our culture. Yes. We're, comf- we're comfortable with it. But as Christians, we must never fall into the trap that, of believing that we're superior. Nor should we believe that it is our job to exclude other cultures from the communion of Christ or to uh, radically change them. You know, early Christian missionaries had that problem um, when they went into to other other countries that were not uh, European. They they felt like they had to not only communicate the gospel but also but communicate their culture as well. Uh, we've all heard stories about you know, uh, missionaries taking suits and ties into uh, tropical and subtropical uh, uh, countries where it was far too hot to wear those type of clothing. But, you know, it was imparting their culture along with the gospel. And I think we have to be careful not to do that. Now, uh, Ted, you are a uh, student of Scripture, uh, both Old Testament Scripture and uh, apocalyptic literature, as well as the gospel to which you've spoken several times in this conversation. Do you think Christian nationalism can become a matter of idolatry and the worship of power or imperialism that we're kind of warned about in both the Old Testament uh, narratives and in the apocalyptic prophecies of what life is like today? You know, Skip, the old hymn says that we are prone to wander, prone to leave the God that we love. Yes. I, th- I think we're all prone to idolatry. I think it's part of the human condition. And um, um, certainly Christian nationalists may be a little more prone to that uh, if, if, they are, um, if they are forgetting uh, their call to, to be Christians first. Um, in as, as I study the history of, of the church, 
I find that biblical Christians were the disenfranchised. Jesus spoke of them as the little ones. Many earth early Christians were slaves. They were women. They were most likely those who lacked power and influence. Uh, they were more apt than not to suffer from oppression. Um, you know, um, Jesus's world was as polarized as ours is. Yes. The Jewish people had all kinds of different ideas about how to deal with the imperialistic power of occupying Rome. Yep. Um, some, like the Sadducees, wanted to collaborate. The Essenes withdrew into their own little enclaves and isolated themselves. The Pharisees became entrenched in legalism as a path to freedom. The Zealots were violent rabble-rousers who thought to overthrow the imperial power. And interestingly to me, Jesus didn't embrace any of these ideologies. Mm -hmm. Instead, he taught us to be salt and light, to be winsome and attractive, and to transform the world around us through love. As, as Christians, we are never to think that we fully belong to the culture that we're a part of. We're there to, to almost infiltrate uh, in a very good way, to change the culture from the inside out so that we become more Christ-like. Uh, that's excellent, yes. Now, you are a mentor and leader of uh, churches, of persons who serve and lead in the context of congregations. I think we're all aware there are organizations in various dimensions of our life that would teach or produce materials that would lead towards Christian nationalism. Do you have any counsel for pastors and church leaders in regard to such media personalities or materials? You know, Skip, I think we have to be more discerning and more careful than ever when deciding which voices we're going to listen to. Yes. Um, the COVID pandemic that we're still in the midst of has heightened that. Uh, people are more isolated than ever. We are turning more and more to our our internet and our television as our source of authority. And um, there's danger in that. Um, I think the days of, of, a, of a member listening to their, their pastor or their, or their elders as, as their first source of authority are, are waning. I, I see church members uh, all around our nation uh, gravitating towards um, voices that are sensationalistic. Mm -hmm. that um, uh, drive them uh, into more obscure areas of apocalyptic thought that, that we really don't quite have all of the answers to, and yet we gravitate towards these authoritative voices that claim to have all the answers. Mm -hmm. And, yeah. and um, some Christians are more apt to listen to those who aren't part of the organized church. It's kind of a, a rebellion against organization. They'd rather find the, the sensational thought than the tried and true one. I, I just encourage us to listen to our leaders within the church, to listen to our pastors, our professors, um, and, and not to the exclusion, of course, of our communion and connection with Christ and his word. We're each one ultimately responsible um, to Christ as a priesthood of all believers. That's a good summary. Uh, in just the remaining minute or two we have, do you want to say anything more to us as individual Christians? What can we do as a faithful Christian regarding this uh, rise of Christian nationalism? 
I think it all comes back that we have to remember that our mission is to love. Jesus mm-hmm. said that that they would know that we were his followers by the way we loved each other. And um, Malcolm X once had an interaction with Seventh-day Adventist Christians, and he said they were the most loving white people he'd ever met. Uh, I, I'm always proud of that quote. I, uh, I, I think that God is calling Christians of all faith traditions to be loving people, to love our neighbors. Chasing power is not our mission. Extending the influence and power of America is not the mission of the Christian. Our mission is to lift up Christ and as the only hope for a dying world. And that's what I'm focusing on in my life, uh, Skip. Ted, thank you very much for uh, giving your time to our conversation today. We appreciate it. Thank you so much, Skip. I've had a good time. This is Skip Bell. Thank you all for listening. Until next time, keep thinking, keep believing.